As I said, Judges chapter 8, uh, verse 33, uh, to chapter 9, verse 6. Now, one name has dominated the news this week. And the name is Avi Weinstein. Uh, Mr. Weinstein is one of the most powerful people uh, in film and television. Uh, He has produced over 300 films, uh, popular films like The English Patient, uh, The King's Speech, and even The Lord of the Rings. Uh, Even as an OBE from the Queen. Uh, But over this past week, uh, his life has come crashing down. Uh, The New York Times kicked it off with that report that uh, Harvey Weinstein has sexually assaulted um, employees over 30 years. And uh, a number of famous actresses have come forward to allege uh, serious violations of trust uh, and sexual assault. They have been afraid to come forward because, of course, Harvey Weinstein is such a powerful figure. Uh, in film. But now with these reports, they are able to come forward to share how much they have suffered under him. As the reports against Harvey Weinstein increase every day, um, people are asking, how can this happen? How is this possible? How can a human being be so depraved? Uh, We are shocked by Mr. Weinstein's alleged misdeeds uh, because it reminds us that something has gone seriously wrong in our world. There is something wrong with the world that we live in. Something has infected it. A foreign disease. And it is not just in Mr. Weinstein's life. It is also in our lives as well. It is in all of us. The Bible calls this disease sin. This morning we are talking about sin. What exactly is sin? Does sin matter? And is there any hope against sin in our lives and in this world? Now we are currently in the book of Judges. Uh, As you know, Judges is a history of God's people as they settle in the land of Canaan, the promised land. Uh, God has brought them into this promised land of Canaan, out of Egypt, through the wilderness, and he has brought them in this land of Canaan to live with him, to enjoy his life with God as their husband. But from the start, as we have seen, as they enter the promised land of Canaan, we see things begin to go wrong. We see that immediately the people of Israel turn to false gods of the people in the land. Israel's sin has led to serious oppression now. Uh, But God still loves them. Uh, God still cares for them. They have abandoned him, yes. And they are now under oppression by these idols, or the people of these idols, so to speak. But God still loves them. And what we've seen in Judges is that God continues to raise up Judges. Uh, he continued to raise up people to serve them. Hence the title of the book, Judges. And last Sunday we finished looking at one of the judges, Gideon. You remember Gideon. Uh, we saw that before Gideon died in Sunday evening, for those of you who are here, we saw that before Gideon died, Gideon had planted a serious sin in the lives of the people. 
You see, God has raised up Gideon to tear down the idols, but his legacy that he left behind was this effort that he had left. This effort uh, that he had created, which is now giving terrible fruit in the verses that we'll see that as we press forward. Gideon's legacy is sin. So this morning we are in Judges chapter 8, verse 33 to verse, chapter 9, verse 6. Gideon is dead. And the question we are asking is, what will be the impact now of this sin, this legacy of sin he has left behind? What will sin do to Israel? Will it tear Israel apart? And most importantly for us here, as we sit here in Bexley Eve this Sunday morning, we are asking the question, what does this new chapter in Israel's history teach us about what sin is and its impact on our lives today? Not just at the personal level, but also at the social or communal level. Well, please look with me at Judges chapter 8, verse 33. And in front of your outline, uh, you have three points that I simply want to make about sin from this passage. The first truth we see in this passage is that sin is prostitution. Sin is prostitution. Gideon has died. And any little moral influence he has held over the people has disappeared. Look at verse 33. As soon as Gideon died, the people of Israel turned again and warred after the bells and made Belbery their god. The people of Israel are not just back to full-time worship of the gods of Canaan. They've been doing this all along. What is now different is that they've taken it to another level. They have now chosen one of the bells. There are many of them. One of the bells as their own god. Did you pick that up? Verse 33 says, And they made Belberit their god. Their personal god. At this time in history, every nation has a patron god, we might say. A patron god they look to, a bit like how perhaps a Catholic have these patron saints, that, they, they, that is their saints. They pray to the saints to give them things, so to speak. And every nation at this time is a bit like that. They have this patron god they look to for protection. We might say having a god at this time is a bit like a national currency. Uh, it does not just determine your prosperity. The god you choose is in fact your national identity. This Belberith they have now chosen Israel is like a pound. It's, it, it's speaking a lot about who they are. The problem is that, you see, the people of Israel are supposed to be different from other nations. They're supposed to be different from nations around them. They are supposed to be in a living relationship with the true living God. The God of Israel, Yahweh, has chosen them as his own. He is their husband. Israel is his bride. God has delivered them out of Egypt, as I said at the start, and planted them in Canaan to be his own people. And he loves them deeply as a husband loves his wife. Israel doesn't need idols. But Israel has forgotten. Look at verse 34. It has forgotten God. And the people of Israel did not remember the Lord their God. 
who had delivered them from the hand of all their enemies on every side. On every side. Israel has entered now, forgotten by the God of Israel, it has entered now into a spiritual marriage with the bell. The word there is bell berith. The word itself, the phrase bell berith is simply bell of the covenant. What the author of Judges is reminding us is that they have now come into a covenant relationship. They are not just saying this is our God. They are saying everything about us now we live for Baal. This is spiritual adultery. That is why verse 33 which we read says that they have warred after the Baal. In other versions you may have, it says they have prostituted themselves after the bells. Israel is committing spiritual prostitution. Now the Bible uses many words to describe our disobedience against God. Sometimes the Bible uses the word sin to describe our disobedience. That means that what? It means missing the target. You are aiming for the point, but you've lost where you've hit somewhere else. When we sin, we are missing the target. Sometimes the Bible uses the word trespass. Trespass is talking about violating a law, going beyond the boundaries. They are meant to live one way, but they have strayed beyond that. And so when you do that, the Bible calls it trespass. Sometimes the Bible uses the word iniquity. To describe disobedience against God. What does that mean? Iniquity is twisting. The law of God is there, but you come at it and you bend it to your own benefit. Or God has given you something good and you have twisted that and you perverted it. And so we speak of disobedience against God as iniquity when that happens. Well, in Judges, by the way, there are many other words. Sometimes the Bible calls our disobedience defiance despising God. The list is long because our disobedience against God is really endless. So the Bible has to use many words to describe it. In Judges here, you see the word used to describe our disobedience. It's not sin or, or, or iniquity. The word used here is prostitution. Israel has warred after the bells. In other words, sin here is breaking our marital vows to God for personal satisfaction. And this is what Israel has done. He has given Baal all his affections and love. That, it, that love should go to God, but it has transferred that and is now giving it to Baal um, as number one in his life. God is now number two. He's not even there. He's actually forgotten about God. Now he has a new husband called Baal. All sin, friends, is prostitution. Because sin is not only doing bad things. Sin is putting other things first rather than God. And those things may be good things. But when we put them first before God, it is a sin. It is spiritual prostitution. Because we are pursuing ourselves because all human beings, you see, are in a covenant or binding relationship with God, established at creation. God is our creator. You are created to be in a relationship with him. 
He alone deserves to take first place in your life. God must be first. Not you. Not your spouse. Not your children. Not this church. Not your work. Not your friends. Not even this country. God is first. He demands number one loyalty. And the truth is that no one in this room gives God first place in their life all the time. No one in this room gives God first place every single moment of your lives. All of us, even followers of Jesus, live sometimes to satisfy, often in fact, to satisfy ourselves as number one. And that makes all of us here spiritual prostitutes before God. Now, another phrase offends some of you. Why is he calling me that? I mean, that's a horrible phrase. He is. You're offended by that. I think I'd be offended if somebody said I was a prostitute before God. It feels insulting, doesn't it? You feel insulted because you don't think yourself in that way. You are good people. You are not having one side. I mean, you don't have this record over 30 decades of terrible sin in your life. You might say, you might say that. But friends, the Bible is clear. All of us are sinners before God. Listen to what prophet Isaiah says in Isaiah 64, verse 6. We have all become like one who is unclean. All of us. Mom, dad, friends, the prime minister, all of us, pastors. We have all become like one who is unclean and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We are all fed like a leaf and our iniquities, like the wind, takes us away. We are all spiritual prostitutes. But does that matter? I mean, what's the big deal? Yes, it matters a great deal. Because the second point in your outline, it matters because sin is punishment. And this is our second observation. Sin is punishment. As the waters of sins that Harvey Weinstein has dipped himself in rise to the surface, it is flooding every area of his life. The company that Harvey Weinstein started has fired him. His wife has left him. All his children have been hurt. Can you imagine being a daughter of Harvey Weinstein? He has five children. Can you imagine the shame, how they feel with such a record of your dad? That's what sin has done in Harvey Weinstein's life. Friends, sin always punishes us. And that includes inflicting collateral damage on people around us. And that is what we now see in Israel. Look at verse 34 again to verse 35. And the people of Israel did not remember the Lord their God, who had delivered them from the hand of their enemies on every side. 
And they did not show steadfast love to the family of Jerubel, that is Gideon, in return for all the good that he has done to Israel. The sins of Israel is now turning on Gideon's family. Sin is spreading in Israel like a deadly hurricane. And as this hurricane of sin intensifies, it's wreaking havoc on everything around it, starting with Gideon himself, who planted that effort that sin is started as now, if you like, pregnant with sin during the time of Gideon. It is now given birth and it's beginning, the monster now is beginning to swallow up everything around it. Now in cinema, the film directors of disaster movies like to focus on an individual or family. So, so you, you know, you watch Godzilla, all of these things, say, you know, that those movies, disaster movies, of a monster, say, yeah? What they do is, you know, they don't just show you the national picture of what Godzilla is doing. They like to focus on the story of an individual. They do that so that they can illustrate the impact of that disaster at an individual level. And this is what the author of Judges is doing here. If you like, he's taken the camera and he's now, you know, he's given us a broad picture now, he's taking that camera and he's focusing it now just on one individual, Gideon's son, Abimelech, on Gideon's family, just to assess the impact of what sin does. How does sin punishes us? And he trains his eye on Gideon's family. Look at chapter 9, verse 1 to 2. Now Abimelech, the son of Jerubel, went to Shechem to his mother's relatives. And he said to them, to the whole clan of his mother's family, say in the eyes of the leaders of Shechem, which is better for you, that all the 70 sons, 70 of the sons of Jerubel rule over you, or that one rule over you. Remember also that I am your bone and your flesh. Abimelech wants to be king. And his argument to his mother's relatives is very simple. Make me a king and we'll make Shechem great again. That, that's his pitch. Make me a king and we'll make it big in Shechem. And the relatives quickly jump on the Abimelech bandwagon and off they go to the Shechem houses of parliament to make his case. I mean, it's so persuasive, it doesn't take long. Off they go with him, look at verse 3. And his mother's relatives spoke all these words on his behalf in the ears of all the leaders of Shechem, and their acts inclined to follow Abimelech. For they said, he is our brother. And the leaders of Shechem join in, and they quickly now put their money where their mouths are. They now become the chief sponsors of Project Abimelech. Look at verse 4. And they gave him 70 pieces of silver, silver out of the houses of Belberi, with which Abimelech hired worthless, fellow, worthless and reckless fellows who followed him. He's like a gang leader now. They've given him this money. This money they've given him is evil money from the temple to do great Evil. Look at this five. And he went to his father's house at Ophrah and killed his brothers, the sons of Jerubel. Seventy men on one stone. But Jotham, 
the youngest son of Jerubel was left, for he hid himself. Abimelech has murdered his 69 brothers in cold blood with a single stone. How has he done this? Uh, he has most likely rounded them up. These reckless fellows have, wrapped, have, have got all of these people. And he's probably put them one to 69. And then with a single stone, he's gone round, murdering each and every one of them with a single stone. In cold blood. Gideon invited evil in his home. And now this monster has grown and now swallowed up 69 of his children. And evil is growing and will not spare anyone. And we'll see that as time passes, Abimelech will not just stop here with murdering 69. Even the people of Shechem, the leaders, will be murdered themselves in cold blood. It is a sobering reminder to all of us here this morning that our sin against God always damages us, ourselves. Proverbs 5, verse 22 to 23 says this. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him and is held fast in the cause of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline because of his great folly is led astray. Sin of any kind is always its own punishment. Friends, sin destroys our relationships with each other. Look what sin has done to Gideon's family. Sin splits families apart. It turns mother against daughter, believer against believer. It shatters our lives. That's what sin does. Sin leads to cold-blooded murder of the unborn in the womb. Sin has spawned the tragedy of human sex trafficking and transgenderism. Sin in our society has led to addictions that we can't get on top of. From gambling to alcoholism to sex texting to many other Pornography and other things. It has changed our very lives. That's what sin does. In 2011, a South African farmer was killed by a hippo he had raised as a pet for five years. You know what the farmer said just before that incident? Just before that incident, the farmer busted. He said, they think you can only have a relationship with dogs and cats. He's talking to you guys who have that sort of relationship. He says, look, but I have a relationship with the most dangerous animal in Africa. And a few months later, the animal dragged him uh, into a river and mowed him to death. Sin is a dangerous pet that ultimately destroys us. You see, the delusion of our sin is that we are in control without the story ends. We think we can manage sin in our lives just for a while. We think we write 
how the story ends in our lives. But we see here, Gideon, his family, Gideon didn't write his own story. We don't write our own story. Because sin is a dangerous pet. And here is what we need to remember. The punishment of sin in this life is a last chance warning to an even greater punishment ahead. You see, you should see sin and the punishment in this life a bit like flashing lights on the dashboard of your car. It is saying to you, stop! 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 Because God has set aside a day of judgment when you judge everyone. A day of final punishment. And that dashboard is flashing in your life. It's saying, get right with God now. Friends, when you think about sin and what it does, when I thought about it, I was filled with a deep sense of hatred for my own sin. Because I realized that sin, I hate sin. I hate what sin does to people around me. I hate the fact that sin promises me freedom, but in the end, this ultimate goal is to destroy me forever. I hate what sin does to people I care about. Its only goal is to send them to hell. And this is a problem. The problem is that we are not different from Gideon. We are not different from Abimelech. We are not different from Weinstein. We are all of us handcuffed to the menace of sin. So where do we turn for help? Who will deliver us from this deadly plague of sin? Well, that is our final observation in Judges. The final observation is that sin is paid for in Jesus. Amen? Sin is paid for in Jesus. Point number one, what is sin? Sin is prostitution. Why does that matter? Point number two, because sin is punishment. But here's the good news of judges. Sin is paid for in Jesus. Imagine with me for a minute that you're a TV reporter for the Shechem Times. And you have an interview. You have an opportunity to interview Abimelech. Just after he has murdered all these 69 sons, and he's now on his way to be crowned as king of Israel. Imagine that. You're now sitting opposite him, you know, for the Shechem times, and you have to ask him a few questions. What do you see in front of you as you look at Abimelech? What do you see? An ambitious, violent thug, yes. A greedy man, yes. But you're also looking at the man who stands for your Shechem values. You're worried about your future as a member of Shechem. You want security and prosperity. You yearn, like all the people of Israel, for a king who can deliver you from this. Provide the stability that Israel needs at this juncture with Gideon dead. So yes, you may, a part of you may hate Abimelech, but a part of you is cheering him on as a member of Shechem. You see, the context for what is happening with Abimelech here is Judges chapter 8, verse 22. Because you remember when Gideon defeated the Midianites in verse 22 of chapter 8. What did he say? What did the people say? Then the men of Israel said to Gideon, Rule over us, you and your son and your grandson, 
for you have saved us from the end of Midian. The people were longing for a king. Israel are feeling like Whitney Houston in that famous song where she said, everybody's searching for a hero. People need someone to look up to. And I never found anyone who fulfilled my dreams. A lonely place to be, so I learned to depend on me. That is Israel's story. Because throughout the judges, they are looking to themselves rather than God to fulfill their needs. And they want to do it on their own terms. Israel is like an addict searching for a fix in the dark alleyways of Shechem. And as they search for this fix, they run straight into the arms of the devil. Look at verse 6. And all the leaders of Shechem came together, and all Beth Milo, and they went and made Abimelech king by the oak of the pillar of Shechem. Shechem is the Westminster Abbey of Israel. It is a national monument. God spoke to Abraham in Canaan at Shechem. It is here where Joseph's bones were taken from Egypt and buried in Israel. It is at Shechem. And you know from Joshua chapter 24, it is at Shechem where the covenant with Israel and God was renewed. And now we see that it is here at Shechem where the people reject God now as their king. But you see, the good news of Judges is that Shechem is not the last word. The good news of Judges is that it is pointing us forward to a king who will come. God still loves his people and he will keep sending them Judges. And these Judges will keep pointing us forward to this king who will come. 1,200 years later, God will establish a new covenant with his people. Not a covenant at Shechem, but on a hill called Calvary. Not a covenant just for Israel, but for all who trust in God's true King, Jesus Christ. Friends, not a covenant with a king who goes around executing people with a with stone, but a king who himself is the rock, a precious stone that gives life to all who believe in him. Not a king who takes payment from corrupt leaders, no. But a king who pays for your sin and mine with his own precious blood on the cross. This passage in Judges is reminding us that sin and its consequences cannot be dealt with by human efforts or our initiative. Friends, Abby Weinstein realized, you know what happened when Abby Weinstein realized that his world was falling apart? He announced that he has hired therapists to help him. He said, look, my journey now will be to learn about myself and conquer, he said, my demons. The good news of Jesus is that Harvey Weinstein does not have to do that. You do not have to do that. You do not need to conquer sins in your own strength. Jesus has come. A king 
who has been crushed for you. What you need to do is to put your trust in God's King, Jesus of Nazareth. He has paid the full price for your sin, so come to Him. Tell Him you're a sinner. Surrender your whole life to Him. Only in Jesus do you find the answers you are seeking. You won't find it in the dark parts of Shechem. The answer you seek is found in Christ. So start with total surrender in Christ. Today! And when you surrender to Him, He'll give you a new life. You have a new relationship with God. Maybe you are a follower of Jesus. You've done that already. Well, the good news is that you also need to hear this passage. I need to hear this message. Because you see, all of us struggle with sin and sometimes we're overwhelmed by it. Now I know some of you, you're listening and say, that's not me. I'm past all of that. You probably think that. No. If you are a believer, you are never a grace graduate. There's nothing like that. No believer graduates from grace. We need to hear this gospel afresh. Because sometimes sin overwhelms us. And we find ourselves straying from the Lord. So this passage is saying to us, look friend, you're no longer a prostitute. That is not your identity. Why? Because Jesus has paid for your prostitution. Jesus has paid for your sin. If you're trusting in Christ, he has paid for all of that. You are now his radiant bride. And Jesus has clothed you in garments of righteousness. He's saying there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You have now come to Jesus, your perfect husband. And like Boaz with Ruth, Jesus has spread his coat over you. He has covered your shame. All your sins now have been dealt. So yes, we sin. Yes, from time to time we stray from home. But we can come to our husband, the Lord Jesus Christ, whose righteousness has been perfectly imputed on us. And this is the truth you must remember always. Never graduate from grace. Remember this truth. Remember it when you are tempted to exchange your affection for God for something else. Remember it when God feels distance from your feels distant from your life. Remember it all the time. Remember that Jesus has paid your sins forever. You are now his radiant bride, safe from eternal punishment of sin forever. You are home with God now, your true husband in Christ. Amen.